This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Um, not sure exactly the format. I had some questions that were given. Um, I used them more sort of to develop a little bit some topics. What I think is we'll try to break it up and we'll do like a few points. And each after each point, we'll discuss and talk about it, I guess, and flesh it out a little bit, um, things that you see and the things that you would like to know and so on. So, for, I mean, I guess as in a way of introduction, I'd like to tell over a story my father told me. My father was a survivor, and he was in Kovna Ghetto, together with the last Mashgiach, Menahel of Slabotki Yeshiva. His name was Avram Gudzinski. He ran, was probably the biggest yeshiva in Europe. He was an extraordinary personality, and he was unfortunately killed in the war, he was in the Covenant Ghetto, and he was in the hospital there. And he looked, he was a magnificently regal person. Um, why, he, was, he, he radiated uh, Kedusha and wisdom, really extraordinary person. And as he's laying there in the hospital, um, a few kids were roaming the halls. These were kids that were orphaned, they had no parents. And they saw him, and they were struck by him. And they said, Zaidi. Uh, grandfather, I don't know if, if you might not know towards Zaidi. Zaidi, will you be our Zayda? And he looked at them and he said, Kindalach, he said, I myself need a Zayda now. So, I had, you know, I have nine children, almost all of them married, and, uh, you know, I've been in Chinuch, different phases in my life, and I still think I could use myself a seminar and get advice from people. Nothing about it is simple, easy. Um, it has a lot to do, a lot of it is intuitive, it's very hard, it's, it's not chemistry, it doesn't, doesn't, there's no formulas really, it's even more complex than psychology because it is psychology and it's also a religious point to it and, and it's, it's very complex, it's, it, has, it has a community aspect to it, so the issues are complex, what we can do is get some ideas, hear different insights um, use intuition, daven a lot for Siyat use our rabbis who know us personally, and uh, with all that together, hopefully we, we get somewhere good. I, you know, it's very hard. I, I, I hate to sit and pretend that I, that I have a grasp of the topic. I've been involved in Chimich, and that's it. And another disclaimer, uh, honest, uh, another full disclosure, I never really was involved in Chimich of children of a younger age. My experience had been at the Mir Yeshiva, at Esha Torah, and today I'm involved in older people. It's a very different dynamic. A 20-year-old and a 10-year-old are different, believe it or not. It's very, very different. I do have some wide experience because there's a high school attached with the Yeshiva. They are the same building, same base medrash, and it's a very close relationship, and I do teach occasionally some of the classes. So, so some, some uh, feel for it, but it's not as if I actually did the chinuch of a younger age. 
that I could really speak with tremendous, tremendous confidence and experience. But be it as it may, discuss some of the issues I think is very important. Um, again, looking through the questions, I tried to get to draw some general topics instead of just answering specific questions. The first one, I would like to speak a little bit about the, not the specific institutional question I was asked, I would like to address it at some later point, but I'd like to address it from a bit of a, of a broader issue. In, when a person who is an adult studies Torah, he draws a certain perspective, uh, a hierarchy of um, l l very important, essential, significant, optional, and insignificant as an adult. So, um, anyone who's learned a little bit understands there's Doraisa, Torah laws, there's Rabbanan, there's Minhag, and there is just the way people are and so on. And, and that's the hierarchy. That's a very appropriate hierarchy of importance. And we ask ourselves, what are the important things to do? Well, start with things that are very, very important Torah laws. Work your way towards the Rabbanan laws and so on. And, and, and that's, it is logical and it's very correct. The first thing we need to understand about children is children don't think like adults and they're not meant to think like adults. And this is one of the big issues um, about Shuva, who himself went through a process at the age of 20 or 25 or 35, um, sort of superimposes that on the child. So, um, and the child doesn't think that way. They're not meant to think that way. And, try, and there's no reason... One should not try to get him to see things the way an adult sees. One should try to give him a message, and we'll speak about that later maybe a bit, but at the end of the day, when you're reasoning with the child, you, you have to see through the child's eye. So let's, let's take an example of a building. When I, if I look at the Asia Torah building here, and a real estate developer looks at it, or an or, or, or um, architect, engineer, very, very different perspective. The architect or the developer walks in and says, hmm, it's sitting on a lot this and this size. It's probably zoned for this. Um, the, the building, the structure has got to have the following support. Um, I wonder what it is that they're doing it and what leeway that gives the building, etc., etc. Oh, and what was the decor like? Uh, the decor they chose this, very interesting, so on and so forth. That's the way an engineer architect would look at it. A, a, a different type of person would look at it and say, wow, it's a beautiful building, it's so nice, and present this, that. Well, how did they get it to sit in this place? Well, whatever, I'm not sure. Or what's this hole over here for? Well, why does it come down? I, you know, it, it's, I'm looking from the outside in, and it's the correct, correct perspective. When a child meets an adult, a, a from person, he sees a yarmulke and tzitzis. They're equally important to him, and sometimes a beard. It's hard for him to understand that tzitzis is mitzvah daraisa, a yarmulke is an important rabbanon, uh, not rabbanon, I'd say an important minute that's become very kavua, and a beard, if you're not using a razor, is optional but very, very in keeping with Jewish tradition. Does, that doesn't strike him. The beard is probably the most important, rabbis have beards, and that's the most significant part of it, and it comes the other way around. The, 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 everything, something, such an overarching encompassing activity as Yiddishkeit has, besides the halachas, 
produced a culture and marais. Some of them reflect um, things that are in keeping with the internal message, and some, that's just the way it is. So, for instance, wearing a hat and a jacket and a tie, yes or no, Hasidim did not wear a tie, and under any conditions will not wear a tie, and my, I'm, was told to wear a tie. Is that halacha? No, it's not a halacha. Um, but it's in keeping, in a certain sense, it, it is, it, the, the conservative aspect of it is in keeping with the attitude. There's a certain sense of formality, dignity, as opposed to something casual. It's something that is reflective of the nature of it. Does it say anywhere, even, even someone who would like to understand it, how long there is some element of wearing a hat for davening, possibly? Does it say whether the hat you made of felt or of straw? Or, uh, or it should be white or black or blue or green? No. But somehow that's become a norm. Whether, whether it reflects anything or not, but that's the reality of it. And a person, when he puts on clothing, is acting a certain way, makes a certain statement, presents something. As an adult, it's got some significance. Some people love to stand out. Some people love to fit in. And, and some people somewhere in the middle and so on. It's, it's relatively a minor issue. Uh, for a child, it's a major issue. And, um, and, and he does not have the ability to differentiate. Well, listen, my father keeps the mitzvahs. Every single mitzvah, he stopped working at a very, very high-paying job because he's keeping Shabbos. And he, and he used to love to eat out, and he stopped eating out because he's keeping kosher. He's done tremendous serious nefesh for, for Torah. No one in, the, in that community has done it. Yes, but my father wears these really goofy stuff, and a child—it's it. You, you, there's no a child cannot understand it differently, and will not understand it differently. And and it's important. It, 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 he will when he become an adult, he will understand it. But when he's a child in school, and his father's wearing goofy stuff, or worse, his parents insist that he wears goofy stuff, then then he's got an issue. And the argument, uh, uh, the argument about uh, about there being something, um, it, there being something uh, wrong, skewed with it, it's an adult imposing a perspective on a child that's not true. So, the first thing is understand your child's world is the external world. It's not bad. He's not looking for a fancy car unless he hears it all the time. But he recognizes very quickly which people look dignified, who, who people look up to, who people look as normal, and who people look as goofy. And, and it affects it. And whether or not... And, and I know the question is why I need to spend more money for a jacket in, in a suit place when, when um, I could buy something in Walmart that's so cheaper and doesn't say anything in the Torah, but it's the zip-up jacket... Or, or a button jacket. doesn't say jacket at all. And the answer is that argument is an irrelevant argument. Um, the, the, the marais and the culture of a from world, A, have, have, very, have strong and positive roots, and they are, the, the, the sensibilities and the taste of people have gotten to this point. Putting your child in a place where you can't cope with that is not right. The argument that when I was 30, 
I had to put on a yarmulke and everybody laughed at me. When you're 30, you can do it. When you're 8 or 10 or 13, you can't do it. And it's wrong to do it. And so the first point, I think, is A, to pick up some of those sensitivities. Um, I do know that it's kind of, um, you know, as sometimes it's goofy when, when somebody who's naturally casual tries to look very formal. And uh, I remember there was a fellow in the mirror who got, um, got married uh, and his uncle from America came in. He was like a really nice American, an Orthodox person, but kind of totally his own, uh, his own person. And he was, saying, he, was, he was saying that, you know, I came now for the wedding of my uh, nephew, and I said, you know, I once bought a strimal. And I said, what could be a more auspicious moment to wear a strimal than in Jerusalem coming in for my nephew's, uh, for, for my nephew's wedding? So I went with my nephew to the hotel and Friday night, and I wore a strimal, and we meet one person, uh, 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 they say, Shalom Aleichem Feta. Feta means like uncle. And he's laughing and laughing. And then the second guy comes and the third guy comes. And, and I turn to my nephew and say, Hanan, you, you, you must know everybody here. How do you do that? And one guy asks him, but Mr. So-and-so, why was everybody laughing? Oh, I, I think it's going to count my shorts that I was wearing. So, the so sometimes when you try to look something you're not, it is it is a little bit disconcerting, and 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 sometimes it's overdone. But by and large, certainly the child's own dress and norms need to fit with his class and his the society you would like him to belong with to. And as best as possible, in, in, a, in a way, you need to understand that how important it is. The child, it, it's, it's hard for a child to understand how uh, to, to respect his father for where he's come from. A child will sooner be ashamed of where he's not there yet than where he will. Someday, he'll understand it. Someday, he will be very proud of it. Um, let, let, let me, uh, you know, let me just interject some story that's moved me tremendously. There was a Gerrit Sedek who lived in Silver Spring, uh, 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 an African-American, who married, he was a dentist, an extraordinary person, married a from girl from the community, uh, we're talking about uh, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, and he came from literally the goddess, from, from a terrible, you know, very, very, unfortunately, inner-city type thing. He had worked his way through the Navy, dental school, and then he became extremely taken by what he saw as the Jewish family from friends that he had in, in school. He became an Orthodox Jew. He met this girl, and they got married. His in-laws disowned them and basically um, refused having to do with them. Very, about 20 years. At the end, not only did they make up, but the father-in-law lived for many years with his son-in-law and daughter. He was older and infirm for about 20 years, and they treated him magnificently. So nice story. But the point that moved me tremendously was, um, at the funeral, he died quite, I mean, died in his late 60s of cancer, very sudden, very very tragic kind of. And his, one, of his, one of his many wonderful children, when he said a hespit, he talked about his own difficulties as a teenager. It was difficult, kind of, because it's the South, kind of, and it's... 
and, and, and there's a Jewish, and there's probably only, only families like that, and so on. But he was he's saying, he said, he said I, the last time I visited my father, he said, I stood there, and I said, Abba, your name is Akiva ben Avram. When, when you go up to Shemayim, tell him you are like Akiva. You started at 40, and you never gave up. And you were ben Avram, because the house was open for everyone, and so on and so forth. And the pride of a son saying about the father will be there, but not when he's young. When he's young, children are painfully aware of what parents are not. And understand the dynamic, and don't make it more difficult. So, the first point we're trying to make is, children are a lot more attuned to the culture, morays, and presentation. That's the world that they see. Understanding that this is a Torah law, this is a Rabbana law, this is a minute, and this just has no reason whatsoever, doesn't, that's an adult way of thinking. And a child will need, you get a need to get a sense of what's normal for them to wear, you, and, and act and so on. And you need to also um, try to do the best, not to be, not to be outlandish in, in sticking out. Yes? Are we talking with Adrian, like the zero to 13-ish? I would say zero through older teens, through mid-teens, kind of, 15, 16. At that point, you know, <laughs> if you still want to go back to where you were, then, you know, <laughs> but I, I would say that's, yes, those are sensitive ages. At some point, the, the child draws away, but those are sensitive ages, yes. Second point about it is, let's flip it around a little bit, and let's understand the perspective of the parents of the other children in the school that are coming from FFB families. And you raise a child, you really... Our whole lives, and this includes every one of us, all of us, FFB and BT, are um, our children. We want our children to grow um, healthy children, good children, and, and uh, Torah children. For, especially for people who live away from the large centers, the dread is always, will they have enough of a community to be part of so that they can develop and so on and so forth. The, 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 the community is naturally insulated. A lot of that is good. Some of it has its downsides, but that's the reality is, and it's for good reasons. So we would not talk at the table about great ball players. There's no such thing as great ball. You know, you can occasionally make a remark about someone hitting a great hit or something like that, but it's not, it's not part of the culture, certainly not TV, certainly not movies, certainly not that. Occasionally you might go off and see a movie, a kid might go, but... It's not, it's not part of your life. And you work very hard at, at putting up those barriers to keep the world out. When a, another child or children come into your environment, and they're mentioning or talking things that um, you don't want your child to be exposed to, that, that it's something you've worked very hard to create those buffers, um, it, it frightens you. Now, the truth is, in some ways, it's all healthy. Um, when, you, you know, when you grow up in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a ward in a hospital that's totally isolated, you're helpless when you meet your first bacteria. And there is, some, it, there is a bit of an overreaction. But understand the sensitivity of that parent, and there are just so many stories about kids that go off the derech, and for better or for worse, it's blamed on an outside influence, which I think, again, is not the, the, the entire reason. So, so parents are very, very sensitive. Uh, it might mean giving up certain things. I don't know. 
it, it, but, but understand that um, the, the world of entertainment is taboo in the, in the, in the yeshiva world, in, in, the, in the very strong Orthodox world. Um, the world of sports is, is acknowledged as a necessary evil. So you take a kid occasionally to, to a game, but pinups of, 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 of ball player heroes is something that's not part of it. And, and it's part of the of, of sort of the sense of it's not our culture and there's a very strong um, thick wall between the two. So just like you're understa- just like there's a lack of understanding the, 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 the sensitivities to where children here are coming from, understand that. And that's why parents have that um, overkill of I don't want my kid exposed to this kid, that kid, what he's bringing in, the ideas, this thing, and so on and so forth. A lot of times you need to hash out the practical aspects of it, and we'll, we'll talk about it soon, I think, of, of um, what it is that, that, that you should and what it is that, you know, it, it, they, you know, everyone's got to give a little way, but I think that that's an important part of it. So let's recap the point and, and, and let's understand the main point. The main point of it is a child's world is externalities. Externalities that mean good things. But to him, a rabbi, someone has a beard, an Orthodox person, someone has a yarmulke, and 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 uh, you know, a, a shul has a certain way it looks. He doesn't understand it from inside out; from outside in. And he needs as much as possible his own world in in terms of of its presentation and mores need to be as compatible with the world that you want him to belong to, and and um, you need to make that effort. You also need to understand whether or not you agree in totality with the isolation that the strong Torah world has, has, has placed around itself. But it's, it's like they're willing to give their entire lives for it. Um, it the, you know, this, is, this is what we want out of our children. We, want, we don't want them exposed to all the garbage. And the question where to draw the line, sometimes there's an argument that it's drawn way too in. But at the end of the day, it, it's, it's really the core of what people care about. And that's why if, let's say, in a community where TV or movies are totally, absolutely out, you need to rethink about what it is. When a parent has his child come home and say something about a movie, when he's never taken his child to a movie, doesn't want to go to a movie, there's a problem there. And one needs to understand the, the, the sensitivity of the other side. That's the first point. Any questions I think we'd like to mention about it? Okay. Yes. Just in terms of the, the clothing and stuff like that, uh, it's very difficult for Balanchuba to find their own place where they feel comfortable. Right. To, to heap upon them that they have to wear a certain uniform or an outfit um, could, you know, for their own, you know, or, or what they're doing could be very difficult for them. So how, how is it, like, are there, are, are, can we draw any lines? Can we? Can we what? That's not what you're talking about. It's We're not talking about shorts and shorts. I, you know what? I, I, I'd be hard put to draw the line specifically. It's something you have to see. What's a norm? Um, you, you know, and and move towards that norm. I would say, you know, for a child, certainly, a child needs to. For a child, you have to make up your mind. You can't have him look the way you would be comfortable and send him to a school where he's uncomfortable. But for yourself, there is somewhat of a, of a drawing in. It's much less critical than for the child. But for yourself, it's something that's, that's a, that, that 
you know, you, you, you need to balance the two. Somebody can't walk around something that feels to him like a prison uniform. And, and uh, you know, if his Yiddishkeit depends on the hat and jacket and that's killing him, that's a terrible price to, you know, to, to be a from Jew without a hat and jacket or wear a hat and jacket not be from Jew. I, I would have to choose the first. That would, that would definitely be halachically the, 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 yes. Yes. Right. For yourself or for the child? Well, the child needs to feel comfortable in the school, where where his clothing doesn't become the butt of issues. Children. When it's very young children, when it's very young children, it's not a problem. And and one of the right attitudes is to, to say, you know, when one of the appropriate ways to do it is in general is, you know, when you'll go to school, you'll be wearing a white shirt or a tie or, or whatever it is. And you know, when you'll be a bar mitzvah, you'll be wearing this. So it, it's it's as when you make it a positive thing, then then it becomes much easier for the child. It's just like you know, in, in, when you train children for tzitzis and, and say when you'll be clean you'll, you'll wear a yarmulke and tzitzis and that's great and something like that uh, so yes that you can do yes what happens if it's not really the most religious as it's financial status it's because maybe the people dress not as you know they don't have as, as like neck knee grand clothing because they whatever they should the lifestyle they chose but some people who have you know more money or more profession that's what well, if it's a school of millionaires where everybody's wearing name brand, then it's a serious issue if you want to send your child there. Simply because, you know, you don't want to... I've told... I've, uh, there was somebody in there, as well, uh, a younger man, a, a married fellow, who comes from a fabulously wealthy home, and he chose to be a coal person, and he, you know, he's a very, very serious mentor, and he learns with transas. But he does not care for worldly goods. His parents brought him a, a, a beautiful car. And I told him, you can't do that. You can't live in an area where people think twice before taking the bus and have that car parked in front. You have to make a decision. Yes, I know you can afford it, and I know you're not materialistic, but there has, you, it has to be in sync. If, 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 this, if, in fact, the story is that the majority of the kids can afford extremely wealthy clothing, not, I would think very hard and seriously about if it's a school you want to send your kid to. I would hope that a, that a school... Would have uh, uh, that, especially if, if many families are Kolal or Clay Kodesh. Um, the, 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 it's hard to think of a brand name that you could that you could possibly associate. What? A lot of people don't have a brand, but a few people might be so. So again, so if there are few people in a class who have it, again, you should not. If if it's the same story, if if you're one of the wealthy parents of that, day, the child should not be wearing. It should not be sticking out because for a young child, it's very difficult for him to be in that position. It, 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 it's, it's ironic. My, we had a neighbor in Israel whose in-laws were, the, parents were extre- the, the grandparents were very, very wealthy, and they would send them beautiful clothing from America. And the kids, they didn't, they didn't understand it was that, but they told them, no, we want the, there's not a good style. We want the style like those kids. Those kids wore stuff that was like two pieces of cloth basically sewn together and with, a, with, a, with, a, with a ribbon around it. I mean, that was the, the, the extent of it. And a child 
doesn't like to. A child does not want to be different, and that's his, and, and it's wrong to put a child in that position. Uh, the school I, again. I, I don't know the dynamics, and that's why. I, but the schools should not. And parents should be sensitive. They can't. You know, for kids to be wearing extra fancy is not is not good. Okay. Um, I, let me tell you some dynamic about this. In, in Israel, there was a, there was an extraordinary problem. This was actually the same base Yaakov where we sent our children to. There was a lovely base Yaakov in the area. With it had a lot of Americans, a lot of Israelis, and the American girls. Come summer, the grandparents were hollering to see them, and they wanted to see them, and they would buy, send them tickets for the family to come. The Israeli girls, their eyes popped out. I mean, they, they didn't, they couldn't go to Tzfas. They couldn't afford to go, and their friends were taking off to America and, 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 and for three weeks and coming back with phenomenal stories and, and stuff. And the school had a real dilemma. The kids were good kids, but what do you do? And it's not even the parents, it's the grandparents. And the grandparents said, you can't tell us we can't see our kids. And, 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 and the school said, but, but on the other hand, it's, it's wrecking havoc with the rest of the class. And, and it was a real issue. There was a, there was a real tug of war, and it's hard to point a villain this one. They both uh, have points. Yes. Um, okay, so, so, so that's the first point. The second point is... Um, there were some issues about the, the issues of the stories and, and of kids having a hard time because they're about the children, specifically and so on and so forth. Um, let me first give it a little bit from a school's perspective and then try to suggest something I think might work. It's always, imp- I mean, children are very dear to us, and it's very, when parents um, come and they have an issue with a child, they tend to be a lot more emotional a lot more defensive, a lot less rational. And that's a sign that you're a parent. It's not, it's not, it's not to be criticized, but it's a reality. I, I, again, I deal with adults. I deal with people that the parents are not the first line of... Uh, I, my first interaction is usually with, with the boy, and it's the parents are only if, if there's some extraordinary issue. But again, from observing, um, A, you, you really can't expect a school for two reasons to tailor itself very individually. The reason is, first of all, the resources are impossible. I mean, most schools are stretched, really stretched way past the point of being able to do what they ought to do properly, and certainly to accommodate the child with an extra need is difficult. It's a very practical issue. There's no such thing as giving a child extra attention. What it means is take away some attention from others and give to him. It's, it's valid sometimes, but understand, a Rebbe works 24-7 and then some. That's the reality of it. They're underpaid, overworked, and expected, when people read these inspiring books of art scroll about Rebbeim, they expect their, t- their, their kids' Rebbeim to be like that. And, and, um, but but the, the truth is, is so, so you, you need to know that the expectation for a child that is different, it's difficult to ask of it. More than that, there's another point that's important to understand Again, from the from perspective of school, a school is meant to be the first exposure to society, in the sense that you there are things in life you have to live with. When a parent tells um, uh, a, uh, a, a teacher, "My child is just a natural late riser," that's what he is. That's a great point. 
But when he's going to have to hold down a job, try doing that with your boss. Roll in 10.30 and say, you know, I'm really sorry, but just a natural late riser. You know, that doesn't work. And those consequences are a lot more serious. You find when you go, when you do anything in life, society tails itself for the media. That's life. When you walk into a clothing store, you expect to find clothing that fits the average in great abundance and in less and less of abundance as you go to the extremes. It's natural. You, you have shortcomings. And those shortcomings, there's a reason why, you didn't, why your job pays $50,000 and somebody else's pays $500,000. Um, there's a re- there, there are very mean and annoying people in the world, and most of them are your boss. That's the, you know, that's, that's the reality of life. The school is the first chance for a child to cope with it, and that's why homeschooling is many times a terrible choice, because what you're doing is you're delaying his entry into the real world, and you're, wa- and you're swaddling him. And and so he's more protected at the age of 10, 15, 20. And then all of a sudden he's got to face a world that's not compassionate especially, and he's got to fend. So in a school environment, the brightest kid in the class, and there's the weakest kid in the class. Those are realities in life. And then there are kids that can sometimes say a mean thing. And, and, And sometimes you can be overlooked for something. Those things happen in school, and the consequences in school are far less... A mark on your report card is not being fired from a job. It's, 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 a, it's a stage in life we develop that way. And yes, you, it's not like Russian training where you, know, you, you throw the guy into an icy river and say, well, if you make it here, you'll make it anywhere. That's, that's, not, you know, that, that's not what we want for our children. You don't want to put him in a case where he's emotionally really harassed and dangerous. But on the other hand, um, a certain level of coping. Every child has shortcomings. He gets teased. Um, the, it's, it's the job of, of, of rebellion and teachers to sensitize the children and teach them um, good behavior. But it takes a long time. And in the process, it always happens. So w- one needs to understand that, that a certain amount of, of give and take, emotional give and take, is part of it. And it's part of what happens in a school with other kids and it's part of a healthy growth of a child. But there is a point if a child is constantly at the, at the wrong end of a joke, constantly rest, unhappy, doesn't want to go back to school, and, it, and it's continuous, it's a problem. It's a real issue. Okay. Um, uh, next piece I want to move on to is um, it, it's an issue that people ask about motivating the children and so on. Um, I, I'd like to address it, I, I guess, in, in, a, in a different way. It comes from a little bit of a different angle. The adults can be reasonable, balanced, and, 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 and understand that some contradictions are not contradictions, but they sort of, each one has its place in time. So, for instance, when we talk about um, a, a, a professional career, Torah study, sports, interacting with non-Jews, to us, we can draw a picture that makes a lot of sense. And the complexity of life is, is you know, it's, it's about resolving where these pieces are, how much, and so on and so forth. Children 
are not, that's not their forte. Children get very excited. Children are very intense. Children, um, can, especially a teenager, this is a lot more relevant to a teenager. A teenager, a Kaddish Baruch who made, I, I, would, I, would, I would sort of make it three broad um, stages in life. A child sees himself as, the, as beholden to his parents and to authority. Not for the money and the food, because the child doesn't understand that, but for his approval and self-esteem. If, if his parents say you're good, if his parents, if his teachers say you're good, then he's good. And if they say he's bad, he's bad. That's a child. And Hashem made it that way. Just like a child, when he's born, needs a mother and a father to live. He, he nurses from his mother. He, 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 he gets everything from his parents. A child's first stage in life allows for input from authority, um, a, a higher, a, a higher figures of parental figures, communal leaders. That's a child up to, let's say, bar mitzvah age. <coughs> then, Akarish Baruch Hu injects a hormone, and a child becomes a different person. And now he's tearing away from home. He, 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 the same child, you know, I've heard a, a parent, this person was a very accomplished professional, not, not, in, not in clinical or psychology, in a different area, and I was amazed how, how the lack of, the sheer lack of understanding, this person's almost about tshuva, a wonderful person, wonderful person, a real mentor and everything, very, very accomplished professional, and he said, I don't understand, my son, when he was 12, he wanted me to make a seam on homosexuality, and now he, the child was 17, 18, he's running around here, is that what happened? Well, I would be mighty surprised if he continued from the age 12 in that direction. That's not what happens. A child becomes, it's, it's, just, like he, it's, it's just like he doesn't fit in the same pair of pants three months at a time, and he always has to buy new clothing. He doesn't fit, he doesn't fit into the picture, and, he, and, and he's intense. And 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 very very turned on, but you're not ever sure to what. It allows for a child to become his own person. It allows him to make strides. It's just like the amount of growth that a child does from 12 to, to 18 is unthinkable by biologically. It's crazy. I mean, you have to keep. You have to keep the, the body has to keep stretching itself. It, it, muscles, bones, nerves, it bloods, everything. It's amazing. And same thing spiritually. So you get a kid who becomes super duper from, and he doesn't talk to any lashon hara. He doesn't talk at all. And he's chazim mishnayis and that. And you get a kid that says, "I, I think I want to become an atheist." And you get a kid that does this, and, and that's 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 the nature. That's the nature be. He tells his parents, "You're terrible people. You're shallow, materialistic, or you guys are goofballs. You don't know how to be cool. You don't. You're you're you're, you're, you're nerds. You know it, all of it. That's that's what a, 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 a child is like." Uh, and a teenager's like. And it's there for some, and that's why you can tap into it. If, if you tap it, for, and that's why um, you need, there's an issue that was raised about the lack of sometimes of balance where kids will, will, will not, the, the secular departments in many yeshivas seem to be terribly neglected. I'm not saying that it's right and it's not good, and we'll speak about a point of it that I think should be addressed. But one of the most important parts of the puzzle is unless 
learning and Torah comes with a fire at that age, it's not going to really work. Because the only thing that speaks to the child after is something crazy. We have a, a Manahel by us in Shiva. He's, he's been, it's the second year. He's an extraordinarily energetic and warm person. Fire. He himself is fire. And, and he's a phenomenal person. The, so, so the kids, one of the things the kids did was they followed his exam. They were up two nights Shavuos. Both nights they were up. A learning going that. Educationally, how much it added? I don't think much. But in terms of spirit, awesome. And, and, you know, it, it's, 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 it's just the idea of... Because that's the way a, 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 a kid thinks, in extremes and, 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 and tremendous explosions. And, and if you have the person, can tap into it. So, so there's a certain imbalance where a kid who is turned on to Torah and a school that's trying to do that puts an almost unbalance to it. It's, if that would be the final picture, it would be not good. But it's necessary. And it's one of the things, and I wanted to address something, the, the issue of modern Orthodox schools, and most community, most Orthodox communities have both, the modern Orthodox and the more yeshivish. Um, I, I want to explain, obviously with a disclaimer that I'm coming from yeshiva community. Yes? I, I'm almost apologetic in bringing this up, but it seems to me that there's some kind of, uh, I don't know if the word is connection, between, I wouldn't say a lack of, of secular studies, but between the importance of secular studies and the way that children interact with secular studies. I, I, I want to speak about that. That's a point I do want to talk about. Yes, it's very... Yes, I, wa- I, want to address, I want to address that, but it's separate this. Soon, yes, it's a, it's a point that I'm leaving for, for later, because I do think it's very important. I want to speak more about um, modern orthodoxy as a, as a final product is as legitimate as any other branch, as Hasidic orthodoxy, as yeshiva orthodoxy, as perhaps what was once um, uh, Torah and Darcheret's orthodoxy. Um, it, it certainly had great people that exemplified being and people of tremendous, uh, tremendous breadth of knowledge, um, depth of knowledge, extraordinary people. And they argued, and like all arguments, so did Hasidim argue with yeshiva people. Um, as long as those arguments are academic and, and focused on emis, then as sharp as they are, that's fine. That's part of the process, um, as long as it's not personal. But, and, and no one is in a position to criticize one another. We can point to the positive of each group and the negative of each group, and that's fine. Uh, that, that's something where, as a final state, it is as valid, and despite the fact that I belong to one community, I understand it, and, and, and uh, you know, I know that I think it's the right way to look at it. There is a problem. If you take a look at the great modern Orthodox leaders, and let's start with Rev Soloveitchik, Zechran Vracha, you find something very strange. Their education started with a Torah-only approach, and at some point in maturity, they broadened it tremendously. Um, it happened that way because there was no, there was obviously no, no uh, modern Orthodox schools in Brisk. You know, you, 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 they, 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 so, so it was hard to send Rabbi Yashubas Alvechik to to us. But I was once speaking to somebody. Um, this is a person who comes every seventh year to Silver Spring for a sabbatical. His name is Professor Halpern. He is a meteorologist from Israel. He's NASA's 
he covers for NASA the, the, the Israeli plus area. And he's a very, very, very fine person, obviously very accomplished professionally. I, I, I'm not in a position to gauge that. Um, and a very, very a strong, strong Torah Jew. He, he might belong to what you would call modern Orthodox camp, um, but his persona is a very strong, uh, very strong Jew, and, and, and he's a lot more interesting than talking about the weather, actually. He's a very interesting person to talk to. It's, the, the weather is his profession, but he's actually an uh, extremely... His name is Professor Halpern. He's done some remarkable Torah things with the weather. Act, believe it or not... There was something about the weather. I'll just mention it because I, I thought it's a very interesting piece. Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says that Israel is a very desired country. He says Jerusalem is the best climate in the world. Something like that. He says there are different types of climate. Jerusalem is the best climate. And it's something that's very hard to, um, very hard to sort of give, um, quantify it. How do you quantify good climate? So he said there are two things that... So, so Professor Halpern... It did research for this many years. This is something, and he said the two most important elements for good climate is sun and rain, because both of them are what's absolutely necessary for growth. Both people and you need water, you need sunshine, crops, and so on. He drew a quadrant of um, of rain more than the average, less than the average. Sunshine more than average, than average. He took all the capital cities in the world. The only one that's above average in rain and sun is Jerusalem. And now, if you don't recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, you have a problem. But, 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 but as long as you recognize it, it's amazing. He said he then had his assistants, you know, that's part of the perks of being head of the department is that you get the assistant to work, to go through all the cities they have listed. The only one that came close to Jerusalem was Flagstaff, Arizona, and that has snow four months a year. So he said we took that off, you know. It's, so immediately, but that's fascinating. It's just, it's just a side point. I, I just, I'm always always amazed with, with with that finding. It's something that you read, and when somebody puts his mind to sort of give some quantification to it, it's amazing. So he, um, but anyway, so he told me something fascinating. He said, I asked him. He, he grew up in a very traditional Yoshami family. His father was a more modern person, but he sent him to a cheder till something like fourth or fifth grade in Meishar, the heart of the... And then sent him to a school, he said, because he wanted his foundation to have a lot of Yerushalayim. And it's, it's, a child grows in the, in, 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 the, in the formative years, there's a strong push in a certain direction. And, if the, and, and the problem with creating a, a, a modern Orthodox environment, tactically, for children that age is that it's very hard to give the message when, when, it, when, it, when a young child hears, it's important to study Torah, it's important to study science, it's important to play basketball, it's important to play music, it's important to play that. And that tone of voice, not a turn on, it's a turn off. So a kid turns to what he likes, and it's usually not Torah, not science. It's usually something that, you know, it, 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 there needs to be a fire for something. So some, some have done it with Israel. It becomes a very intense pro-Israel place. We, we look at Israel as being one of the elements of Torah, but it's, it's all about Torah and Kaddish Baruch Hu, and you need, and that's why modern Orthodox places have a problem. That's why they draw the staff. The Hebrew staff comes usually from a more yeshiva community. I know by us it's like that. Because it's very hard. It's, it's something when, when, the, 
when the breath is on top of the Torah piece, it, it has a, 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 a beauty to it, it has legitimacy to it, and, and it works well. When you try to intertwine it, at the end of the day, even the most modern Orthodox school is teaching his child, when you say Krishna, that I will give my life a Torah. No one gives a life a geometry. You know, I, I don't care how ardent of a supporter of Torah Mada, if, if your life is at stake, geometry is not going to be what you're going to give it for. So you need to teach it that way, and you also need the child to leave open to the child a certain breath. Does that happen? It's problematic. And I, I want to get to the point that he says. But I want you to understand why, on the practical level, um, that a child at an earlier year takes on. I want, I want to, uh, well, I don't want to jump, so we'll, we'll get to this point in a minute. There is a point, however, so, so when you have schools to choose from, you need to choose, you need to place, a, you need to choose a school where you feel there's an intensity of the Torah that's palpable, where the message is intense. Uh, when you're in a community that's small, and Washington also has this choice of two schools, basically, you, you, in New York, you have a choice of, uh, you know, like two dozen schools at least, and, and you're much freer to choose. Um, you know, you, you have there are there, it is obvious issues, and, and you need to work with the school to correct it. The one thing that's not forgivable is an. Uh, there's one thing if the school says our vision of Torah and science is to learn five hours a day Torah and one hour a day science, or two hours a day. You may agree, you may disagree. But that's fine in Chinuch perspective. But when children have, when the attitude is, there are things you can neglect. The very good yeshivas, like Philadelphia yeshivas, one of the top yeshivas, um, or yeshivas pattern like that, it's unforgivable to, um, to, to tread light on the secular stuff. They don't have much secular studies. Whatever they decided, two hours, three hours, whatever they decided. But, but, but if you mess with it, you're out as if you don't say anything else. They're very, very strong about it, and it's appropriate. There's nothing... There is, and it's two things. First of all, a child doesn't learn the importance of Torah by making light of science. He, he learns that you can make light of things, and that's it. That's what a child picks up bad meters from it. Especially when there's a person involved, when there's a teacher involved. Dignity of a person, respect for a person, and that's unforgivable. That's Torah. That's not science. The respect for the science teacher and the respect for him as a human being and as, as a person who's learned and as a teacher figure is Torah. The stuff that he's teaching, you, there are different ways to go with how much you want your child to learn, how much is important. And I think that's something you can you can put to the school. It's something that unfortunately, I, I want to explain another point I think is a shortcoming of the, of the Haredi yeshiva world. It's a natural shortcoming, but it's still a shortcoming. And this is something I want to say to Salvechik, and he said something. He, 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 he lived in Boston, and he would commute to New York, for many reasons, but he once expressed it. He said, New York, he said, is a strange zoo. Every, every animal has its own corner in the zoo. And he's, you know, where you have these clusters of groups, Greek Americans, Hasidic Americans, you know, this American, that, everyone has their own little ghetto. He said, when you live with your own, you tend to become a sect. And, you know, it's like when you live in a dormitory, it, it, there's a certain interaction which comes from the closeness. 
but you don't want that. You don't want somebody walking into your house without asking permission, taking something from your drawer, and borrowing it, and telling you a week later. In a dormitory life, that's kind of acceptable. And you know, it's it's Hamish, as it's called. And you know, you know, people are kind of the lack of courtesy is just because everybody. It's, it's, it's like at home. You don't tell your brother, "Please, my dear brother, could you pass me this?" You know, you 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 you, you sort of. It, it's it's well, and when you have a very closed. A Haredi environment, it becomes like that. It's it's a reflection of some of, of a positive thing, but but it's negative. And children, and, and it's something that you that you can demand that you know it it's, has nothing to do with the question of how much science. It has to do with something a lot more basic. And I think it's one of those things when you discuss it, and I, I, I sense it's a sentiment that's common. I certainly feel that from a Torah perspective, it's wrong. And it teaches it teaches a child to disrespect a person, and and to disrespect things. There's nothing. Everything in the world, the Mishnah says, don't make light of anything, because everything in this world has its place, and every person has its time. Everything has a place. Science has a place. You, you may you may for you it may play a small role in your life or a very large role, but don't make light of things. So so I think that definitely does something that you need to 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 make note of that. Yes. Yeah, what? There was a mixture of people that are very serious about the, 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 the English and so they weren't. But my dynamics that I find, I find this happening with my son also, is that it becomes more of an issue when the kids feel you're disrespecting the college, so I'm going to disrespect the English. It's not always about the teacher, it's sometimes about the dynamics of the class. They feel certain kids are like, you know, they, they disrespect, they're not always so much in the college. So, to push back on this, I, I don't know... You know, it's like, there used to be, in Europe, the, the nobles who owned the states always had Jews to run them. Jews were very good at the management, property management. And the, the pirates owned the estate. The, um, so, the, the manager of the estate, the, 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 you know, the goyim didn't, didn't the, the nobles didn't know the names, everything. So, they would call the Jews their moishka. This is my moishka, your moishka. And the relationship was sort of a love-hate relationship. So, you know, usually if the guy did a good job, you're very proud of him. And if, he, and if you weren't happy with what was happening, you let him have it and so on. So one day, two nobles were sitting in a, in a, um, in a bar drinking. Each one with his moishka sitting next to him to take calls and so on. And one guy looks at, you know, they were, they were high. And one guy, thanks you. Will uh, I get high in this? Or this, uh, this is... This is uh, <laughs> Um, thank you, thank you very much. And one guy, they were, he's high, he's, he looks at the other guy's moishka and he says, huh, what a runt of a moishka you have. I, I bet you he's, he's good for nothing. He's, the other one got very angry, he says, you're going to diss my moishka? Bam, he hits the other guy's Jew. He says, my, you're going to touch my Jew? Bam, I'm going to hit your Jew. Back and forth and back and forth, each one's hitting the other one's Jew. And finally, the, 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 both of them are almost dead, and one guy, you know, sort of stumbles out with his Jew, and he says, "You see, I stood by you. I didn't let him diss you. You, I, you know, I, I let the other guy have it. You know, I let the other guy. It, it sounds almost like that. Like if you disrespect this, I'm going to disrespect that. It's part of it's part of the chinuch of kids' midos, but the, but it should be very high up on, on the teach priority. Respect for people and things. Derek Heretz, it's it's it, with the lack." In America, with the lack of formality, their hearts has become neglected. 
And the problem with the problem with, with when a kid disrespects a Rebbe, it's clear that it's wrong. There's consequences for it, and kids will do it. But it's very clear. The message is clear. It's not clear when it happens to other people in the staff, when it happens to somebody cleaning the... What about somebody who cleans the, the building? Um, you know, we, we, we in the firm world, there's the New Yorkers and non-New Yorkers. And in, in one of the nice... I grew up in New York, but I've done tshuva since then. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, 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 I'm a, a, a VT New Yorker. And, and that I've also found out, to my relief, that people consider the Lower East Side you grew up to be not really New York. And, and you're an out-of-town if you're from there, if you're not from Brooklyn. So I, I have a little, I have some merit. But there was a fellow, there was a fellow, um, a, a Spanish person who was, uh, who was employed cleaning yeshiva, very fine person, and he had tremendous respect. Like, he really admired the kids and everything. And like I remember on a Purim, when he used to have to stand cleaning all the time, he said, you know, when you guys, when we guys drink, we hit and kill, and, and you just, man, and you guys just have fun, and it's nice, and it was very, but there was one guy, a New Yorker, and he was walking he, down the hallway, he took a cup of coffee, and the coffee was spilled, and didn't turn around. And I said, uh, Yaakov's name was, like, um, you know, this whole coffee said, the guy will clean it up. And the guy looked at me and said, you won't put it up properly? Like, you know, this, the, the Hispanic fellow said. And he was right, 100%. Uh, I mean, he's, he, and, and one of the nice things I found there was that the kids have, you know, they have a very nice relationship. The staff is not garbage. The, the cleaning staff are human beings who are doing work. There's a hello, there's a good morning, there's, you know, and, and that's something that has, that is a Torah value. And, and, and people need to learn that. And, and I think it's something that you should insist as a Torah value, not as a secular value. Um, I think you can throw your weight in this area, and I think you'll be supported by anyone who's got some uh, brains. And, and it's, it's serious. It's, it's something. It, it's, it's not something that there's any reason to, to neglect. You, you can argue in, in, in the amounts and you know, in more English, less English, but you can't argue on these things. Um, there's another piece of the puzzle I'd like. To, one more question, sort of that that had been thrown in that I, I would like to address. There was about kids are not motivated and what do you do with them and so on and so forth. Obviously, different ages and different reasons. Um, the, um, I think the first thing is a need to understand that Chinuch is a long-term whole. When you want to look for yeshiva, where to send your kids, first of all, don't look into educational philosophy of the yeshiva. That's a wrong place to look at Look at some finished products. Look at the kids who've gone through there. What do they look like? Is this what you would like a child to look like? It, the, the, the educational philosophy, the, the problem with educational philosophy is, and I'm talking about as an educator, is it's like the difference between in vitro and in vivo in, in, in medicine. So many things work wonderfully well in the laboratory and are irrelevant when it comes to people. That's the way it is. And certainly in an area like education, which is even more complex, and we don't know why, what, when, but that's the way it is. You can't really take the, well, if they have more this, more that, the other thing. There was somebody in Isha Torah, since Reb Noach was a pioneer and so on, there was that type of spirit. And people would, a lot of times, want to send their kids to like the, a new school that's opened up with very innovative approach. And someone asked me once, and I said, let me ask you, if you had a medical condition, when would you go with the very innovative approach? I'll tell you when. When you're deathly ill, 
and they've told you there's nothing else that's going to work. So then you try that. But you don't experiment on yourself, and especially if it's something, you know, something really serious. Education, all the, all the logic in the world, doesn't, doesn't tell you that you can get the right answer. That's just the way it is. So, so you look for the, what does the end result look like? At the end of the day, this school has put out five years, 50 years worth of kids. What do kids look like? Where are they now? Um, what's the picture of the kid? Is it the kid? And always look at three, four, five, because one is always an exception. One. Two. It's the same attitude. So just like a, a good much I could think of is like a Rubik's Cube. You know, a, a novice takes a cube and says, I want to get all the orange to one side. Let me move the orange, let me move the orange, move the orange, move the orange. It never works. Uh, um, somebody who's, who's really good at it, he keeps clicking and moving, clicking and moving, clicking and moving, and all of a sudden, all the calls are in the right place. Um, it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's a period of transition. And step by step, you can't look at each slice and say, well, this or that or the other things. When I look, again, I'm fortunate to teach 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds, and it's sort of already at some point of, of arrival. Where they were 10 years ago, you would rarely predict where they are. Occasionally, yes, there, there are occasionally kids where you can predict exactly he'll be the best in the class or, or, or he's not going to be in school in 10 years. That, that's that's some, sometimes, that's one out of a class. Most other people, they, 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 they work in different ways. And, and they change in different ways and at different times. The things you need to keep in place in the long haul is your patience, that's first of all. Secondly, a child needs always to feel that you're comfortable with him, confident with him. Let me give an example so, so that I can, so I can at least translate what I mean. L- let's say you decided you like horseback riding. It's not important to you. It's not significant to you. It, it's something that's not your job. It's not even your primary hobby. It's not even, you're not a, a, a nobleman in England where, you, where, where this is like a very important event, the riding the horses. It's just something you picked up and you'd like to share it with the kid. And you take your kid and, and one Sunday or one weekend or one um, summer and you, and, you try and, and you try to go to the horse. And it doesn't go all that well. Your attitude is comfortable. It's, you like the kid, great kid. It's fun. He, he, you know, the horse threw him off, put him back on again, give him some advice. No venom, no tension, no exasperation. It, it's, it's kind of a fun thing because it, it's sort of, it's, so, so it's an enjoyable. Even if you come back and say, wow, the horse threw me a dozen times and I almost once landed on top of the fence and that, it, 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 the attitude is positive about it because that was the environment. You need to look at the child as a person who is entitled to a sense of um, respect for who he is. This him, he, he wants well, he's struggling with a lot of things. Some kids don't have the academic ability and that struggle with that in school. Some kids just don't have the patience at that age and are struggling with that. Some kids have very, very strong temptations and desires and are struggling with that uh, um, and so on. But the feeling the kid needs is that you understand him and you understand that he wants well. One. Two. It can't, when a teenager tells you you're a terrible parent, don't take it the way your neighbor tells you. 
It's not what your rabbi tells you. It's, it's very different. He's not, he's saying it out of anger and frustration. He's not saying it, he's not, he's, he's, he's not giving you feedback as an equal. Um, we had one of our children, myself and my wife, especially my wife has many, many tremendous um, qualities. Careful organization and, you know, everything that's placed in a, in a, in a moment's notice and, and everything, you know, tucked away and this and that. It's not our strong point. It's, you know, the, the, it's, it's not terrible, 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 but it's not our strong point. One of our children um, takes after my father, Heine Vracha, who was a very organized, a structured person, calm, everything in its place, everything organized, everything on time to, you know, to a second and so on and so forth. And he had the misfortune of growing up with parents that were not like that. And he complained. And he would come home and say, you know, my Rebbe, he's so organized, he comes in, he puts down his Lucy book, and he has keys to a car, and he puts it here, and this and that, and you, and this and that. And I would tell him, I would say, Ziki, I would say, listen, I know you're different, I know you're organized, we're not. God willing, when you have your own home, you'll, you'll run it the way you are. I can't be different, and you'll have to hold on. You know, Zema <laughs> yes. And, you know, he was saying, we're not this, and we do things last minute, so on and so forth. I remember vividly one scene, and um, he'd gone away to Yeshiva in Bnei Brak for the first time. You know, he, he left, this was post-high school, he went away to a dormitory. And he was away, and we had many acquaintances and friends and relatives in Bnei Brak, so for Shabbos he would go for meals, and so that, very nice. He comes back, and I remember vividly, it was like uh, for Pesach, he comes into our bedroom, and he's kind of sauntering around, he wants to tell us something. I said, what's up? So, you know, he said... I was always under the impression that everybody else's life is very put together and everything's organized and everything is this and that and, so, and we're the only ones that stuff. I've been going out to a lot of homes now, a lot of places. <laughs> and you know, when you look around, it's not like that. It looks that way, but it's not like that. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it was like, I, I guess my wife, you know, how do you feel? You know, we, it's, it, we finally have been rehabilitated after all these years of, 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 of having been such terrible parents. We've actually come around again. And, um, you know, the, 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 the understand it as the child's issues. You know, there are certain things you can put your foot down and say, you will not say it. You can, and again, using your sense of things. And, 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 and I'm saying this also in the we, we have now, first year of Spanish boys in the yeshiva, we never had it. We always had older boys, which meant that we didn't have so much to worry about these issues. We were the continuation was actually the studies and so on. And one of the things is to know when to let go a bit and when to be a little more tight. You can give a, a child certain red lines and you can say, listen, um, for instance, let's say a child is, could be studying a lot more and could know a lot more. He's bright, he's got the time, and it's not using the time. The worst thing you tell a child is, what a waste of such potential. It, don't take kindly to it. And if you put yourself in that position, when someone told you that, even now if someone were to tell me that, I'd also be a little bit... It, it just, it's just those nagging things that you don't take kindly to. But what happens if you, if, if you sit down and say, you know, I've got a real... Um, you know, you're getting A's and we're really proud of you. I, I really always... You know, something that's very important to me is knowing a lot of this or that. And I'm willing to put down money for it. I'm putting down a challenge, a, a scholarship, a prize of X amount if you do this by this time. Because it's so meaningful to me. 
a, a child likes that, likes it a lot better than being nagged. So, uh, or vice versa. And again, this is talking about a child's a little older, like a, a, a teenager of sorts, or younger teenager. Let's say a child has a problem with work and school and so on and so forth. And he says, you can sit down and say, okay, um, do you want to do well at school? And the child will say, yes, but I need some free time also. Fine. Let's map out. You tell me. I want you because you probably can do better. Let's map out a fair map. How much time do you think you need to study? What do you think the distractions are? And how do you think we can resolve them? Let me give you some possibilities. You could study in the library. We could make a rule, no computer on when you're studying. We could do this. What do you think you would work with best? When the child has that control of his own life, very few children say, I want to be a bum and roll in the gutters. I, that, that's not, that, that's, that's not a, it's, it, a child doesn't say that. What a child usually doesn't like when things are imposed on him. And, and when you allow him to make those choices, and you have enough sense to know, um, and, and let him fail sometimes also. Let him have his choice. If he says, I only need an hour and you have to do reports, just say, I, I, you know, I will, will, will trust your judgment um, we'll, we'll, we'll start, but let's revisit it. Let's look a month later and see if you've done it, if you haven't done it, if it's gone, if it hasn't gone. Um, you know, if you involve him in the process at that age, not at the age of 8 or 9, but at the age of 14, 15, you actually might get somewhere because children down deep, a child that grew up in a, a normal home wants good, wants to be good. Um, they don't want, because of, because of this phase of wanting to get rid of control, they're going to resist um, real control, but if they feel they're part of a process, and they usually will end up taking more credit for it than they deserve, but that's fine as long as they get it done, um, that's good. So, so, so you need to understand that. You need to understand what are the dynamics of that age. You also need not to despair of, um, of, uh, of giving over the message that you think is right. Because he will resist it when he's a teenager. And when he's grown up, it will click into place. I want to tell you something about myself. My father, like I said before, was very organized, very, very calm, very structured person. As a young boy, I loved to listen to him tell over things and ask questions. Everything was like very, very clear. When I started becoming a teenager... So my Mishigas expressed itself in becoming very, you know, very shiva, and, and you talk a mile a minute, and, and, and ask questions and answers all over the place, and this and that. And what my father, the way he spoke, got me very, very edgy. It's what's called in slang, yeshiva slang, balabatish. It's like, for simple layman, you know, the way you explain it, and present it, and, and, and structure, and beginning, and end, and all of that. And I, I was kind of, uh, what's the right word for it? I, um, I sneered at it. I, you know, and, and I swear, I was, I was respectful, but I didn't put much stock in it. And lo and behold, as an adult, it became very important to me. All of a sudden, yes, when I hear boys talking a mile a minute all over the place with no rhyme or reason where they're coming from, where they're going to, it bothers me, and I, I put a lot of emphasis. Don't, it's like the Rubik's Cube. If a child has a happy home, if he feels that he's respected and wanted for what he is, and that, he, that you believe that he's a child who wants to do the right thing, not because he's going to be a genius, not because he can get straight A's, but because he's a good person and, and he's likable. And you, you give him the challenges and stuff like that. And, you, and your message, you, you don't have to convince him. 
convincing, you don't need to twist his arm until he says yes. That's, that's not where it's going to come from. If your message is genuine, it's coming from you, and, and it's coming from you without bitterness, antagonism, but this is my sincere beliefs, this is what I feel, one day you'll wake up, and the teenager is gone, and there's an adult there. And lo and behold, he actually shares a lot of your core values. And, and it's amazing. And, and that's where it came from. It's, it's, it's something that, that, and I see it with my own children. Baruch Hashem, my children are, are past teenage. And I, I know it's surprising. I, I want to share a story with you about, again, it's, it's just understand some of the dynamics of young people coming to their own. It's, it's a story that left a profound impression on me. I grew up in a home that was very observant, very from. My father had gone to yeshivas. They were not pro the long-time learning. For many reasons, especially they were very poor, they were survivors, didn't seem it would be practical, and, um, you know, and, and, uh, they, and, and it was an issue. And the last years of high school, when I decided, I veered sharply in that direction, and I wanted to learn full-time, and I was very turned on by it, and it meant a lot to me. There was a lot of tension, and a lot of disagreements, and arguments, and it, it wasn't pleasant. It was difficult. And I had very, very close with my, my father, and subsequently, once again, he was my role model. But there were a few difficult years in the middle. And I came to Yeshiva, to Israel, in, in a sense of broken away from home, and, and feeling bad about it. And I was sitting there, and saying to myself, you know, if my father had been a great Rosh Yeshiva, I'd still have such a wonderful relationship. And this would be a fantastic, fantastic relationship. And just because my father's a different world than where I am, we have this disagreement. Uh, I remember the, those feelings vividly. It was, it was difficult because those days didn't travel back and forth, and I was sort of broken away from home, and I was very tied to them. There was somebody in, in yeshiva, of, um, in my group, in my year, whose father was a famous tzaddik and a big Rosh Hashiva in Europe. And I was friendly with him. I you know friendly because he was very sincere. And I was always thinking, wow, him and his father must be like honey and milk or roses and wine or whatever. You, if you pick the muscle, when they get together, it must just flower. Akadosh Baruch has his ways of teaching. And I happened to be, at those days, Hebron was still very safe. And they had a taxi, a Shadewood taxi, which is six people together, going to Hebron and uh, to, to, to Hebron and back. So, I, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was like a, a day, or, I don't know, for whatever reason, I decided to go. And lo and behold, him and his father were in the same car. And we're sitting in that in the, in the taxi, and the, 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 the driver, I think, must, must have been less than honest, and the boy had some words with him about his, you know, how somebody could be so dishonest, and he said one price, and demanded a second price, and he, and he sort of was sharp. And his father turns to him and he says, I don't think that's the way one should speak. And he says, father, he said, you're naive. That's why the world cheats you. These people are not honest people. And his father said, I don't think that's the way Ventura should speak. And I said, whoa, what's going on here? And Tut Sadiqim having it out. And the same thing happened on the way back. The kid bought some trinkets from an Arab, some sand bottles. And I think he bought them down. And the father said, that's not dignified. And, you know, and then the, the son said there's something about certain halachic shaila, and the father said, those shailas are invented. And, and I was shocked. I was shocked because both people were, were, were in the same world, the same, the same... And then I said to myself, no, you know, it's part of it. The child comes at his own, and whatever his parents are, 
You know, whatever his parents are, don't seem right. But understand that. First of all, don't take it personally. Secondly, you can have red lines. There are certain things that you can't say that. That is wrong to say no matter what. Period. You can have your opinions. You can like or dislike. But, you know, there's, there's a red line that you, you draw it in a certain place. Um, you make sure that the people who are influencing your child, that Pete Piper is someone that you want him to take him to the place that you like him to be. That's very important. At that age, the child is, 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 is influenced. It could be friends. It could be a TV show. It could be a Rebbe. Um, or, or it, it could be a great Rebbe. You know, those are, those are, those, that's, what's, that's very important. It could be stories that he's read or heard. Understand, and it's very powerful and out of proportion. Just like you don't expect a child to have the same pair of pants every three months, they, they, they keep looking like they're just misfit. And teenagers look misfit physically. You know, there's always something growing quicker than something else. And, and that's, that's what it's there for. It, when you grow, you, don't, you, you grow different pieces. Some children grow in A first and B first. Make sure that his sphere of influence is positive. He never gets a sense from you that you're worthless or we wish we didn't have you or anything of that nature. Understand that this is he's in the process now. And if the influence is on the right place and your attitude is positive, then does Hashem, when the process is over with, um, he, he will amazingly, all of a sudden the pieces will click into place. That's, that's the norm for it. You have to make sure, A, that he doesn't do something that he can't get out of, something that's, that, that he'll never be able to move away from, like Chassashalom, substance abuse Chassashalom, or, 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 or a type of chevra that it, it's, it's going to take him to a place that he can never come back again, that it's, it's, it's too far afield, and so on, things of that nature. That's, those are places to... But in, in the tension, and the flux, he has to be in a place that is turning him on, that he sees something that he admires, that he likes, that, that, he, that he feels he's striving for something. Those are, those are, are important pieces. And, um, and having said all that, it's uh, filler because we're all groping in the dark. And like I said before, you know, I, like I started off with the first story, I, you know, we also need a Zayda. Every, everyone, everyone dealing with it needs someone. It's, that's, the, 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 that's the norm for it. It's, it's, we, we are blind. When I was growing up, we thought that the reason why we have so many issues is because not enough children are getting a Jewish education. And, but if everyone got a Jewish education, it would be like a conveyor belt. We just dump him in a kindergarten and pick him up at the wedding hall. And, and it hasn't quite worked that way. It's people, and we've gone a long way. And a lot of good things are in place. A lot of wonderful things are in place. But Akash Baruch didn't put us in this world to be on a conveyor belt. And, and every generation has its issues. Now that some people get Jewish education, Jewish education itself needs to start working out certain aspects of itself. We need to understand a lot more about the different teenagers and what would be ideal setups for them, and so on and so forth. Th- those are things Akash Baruch Hu is, is expecting of us. It's not the end of the days yet. We still have a lot of work to do, and this is part of the work. Any questions? Let me just finish off on one note. Um, I said last time that there are things that um, the language expresses a lot of times the, 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 the content of, 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 a, of a nation, of a people. And sometimes you find words you can't translate from English to Yiddish Hebrew or Yiddish Hebrew to English, and you realize it has a lot to do with the culture. One of the most important words in Yiddish is nachas. And there's no translation for English. And, and, and it's amazing because 
in the in in the other world, whether it be uh, it, it, the truth is even non-religious Jews identify with it to some degree. My son is someone that is in my life when he's a boy, and I hope he's successful at whatever he does. And occasionally, if he wins a Nobel Prize, I'm proud of him, and that's it. The idea that I have a legacy to carry on, you know, it's, it's amazing sometimes at how the culture is jarring. You know, you, wanna, you want to advertise an expensive watch. I think it's called a Patek Philippe or something like that. I, I just see it in the back of, of The Economist. And it's very hard to tell people to pay $10,000 for something that a $3 watch could do the same job, basically. Yes, once in a million years, you lose a second. That is correct. But we lose a lot more time than that, and I don't think that really makes a difference. So it became, no, chas v'sholem, it's not spending $10,000 for, for a watch that you don't need. You never own a Patek Philippe. You only carry it for the next generation. And they have a very moving picture of a successful father with a young little boy chick and the, the watch waiting for Sunday when he gets it. So it's now become a mesaurus, a tradition. It's not simply a watch, but this is something that, that th- your whole life is around getting this watch and moving on to your child. Thank God we have a different vision of things. Um, Nachas means w- we sacrifice a lot and we live for something and we have ideals and values and we want to build it so that the next generation moves forward and improves it, and the generation after that, and so on. It, it's something to be proud of that we have the sense of nachas, and it's so meaningful to us, and it's so much, and it causes us distress because it's so important to us, and, and we will to spend a Sunday morning trying to figure out uh, ways how to deal with it. Akash Baruch should help. We should all have nachas from our children. We should all have the wisdom, the strength, the patience to hang on and to know what's right and to make the right decisions. And Baruch Hashem, we all will have much, much nachos, Baruch Hashem. Okay.